Good morning, everybody. Again, welcome to Idlewild Bible Church. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm an elder here and uh, the ministry intern as well. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, be not afraid. One of the ushers will bring one to you if you raise your hand. That was for you. Um, but turn with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, we are moving in, obviously, to the second chapter, uh, chapter one, great introduction uh, for providing framework for us as we think about this book, um, its truth, its meaning, uh, how it instructs our lives, and uh, so let's go ahead and read God's word together. If Ecclesiastes chapter two, uh, verses one through eleven. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my, my, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray. Father in heaven, holy is your name. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which is truth. We praise you for your glory and your majesty. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray that you would have mercy on us for we are sinners. And Holy Spirit, may you renew us through your word. May you illumine to us the truth of the words of the preacher. May you teach us, may you guide us, and may you lead us. Thank you, Lord. For all that you give to us, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before bedtime every night, uh, I have a two-year-old and a baby. Uh, Typically, the baby's sleeping, but our two-year-old, we always read stories together. And one of the stories that's in the rotation is uh, called, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. You guys know the story. You give a mouse a cookie, it's going to ask for a glass of milk. But he doesn't want to drink the glass out of the cup. He wants a straw with it. And then after he's finished drinking, he needs a napkin to clean off his face. 
but he wants to make sure he doesn't have a, have a milk mustache, so he needs to look at a mirror. And then he noticed when he looks in the mirror that he's got a hair on his head that he needs to trim. So then he needs scissors. And then there's hair on the floor, and, and he needs a broom to pick it up. But he can't just clean up that part. He's got to clean up the rest of the house, which, as you know, is a, is a tiring experience. So then he's tired, and he wants to take a nap. So he needs a blanket and a pillow. And you better not lose the blanket. Then he needs a story before bedtime. And the stories remind him, or the pictures in the story remind him of, 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 of his desire to want to draw. So then he, he starts drawing. And, and you know the story. You know how it ends. Eventually it leads him back to wanting a cookie. And if you give a, milk, uh, uh, if you give a milk a cookie, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want something to go with it. And I think about our life, the, the, the way that we go about our days, and I think sometimes we're like that mouse. You get one thing and you want the next. And you get something else and you want the next thing. We often pursue pleasure or happiness or joy in life through those things. We want the bigger thing, the next thing, the nicer thing. In our day, technology, as you know, it... It just continues and continues and continues. The moment that you get the newest phone, there's already a new model coming out. We're looking for pleasure. We're looking for joy in life. And the preacher this morning is telling us that we, that he has done this experiment, that he has been on this mission to find joy. Your translation might say pleasure. It might say happiness. At the root of it, I think, though, is this, this idea of joy in life. In a way, he lived out for us the truism of today, which is the saying, if it feels good, do it. But you'll see that his joy or his, 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 his experiment leads to vanity. It, everything is a breath. Everything is a vapor. Everything is smoke. And he concludes that for us at the beginning of a story as if we don't need to finish it. The joy of our toil under the sun is nothing compared to the joy of the Savior. And as you'll see on your note page in the bulletin, there's, there's a really three sections this morning to our passage. First is the few days of life. Second is the forgettable works. And third is the fullness of joy. The joy of life is, is a theme that the preacher develops throughout this whole book. Like wisdom last week, joy this week, next week, uh, folly. Or no, more wisdom and folly. This is what he chooses to carry out his experiment with. And he's, he's concerned about the good life. I think all of us here probably want to live a good life, not in the sense of, of, of morale or, or doing good things, but in terms of, of having joy and pleasure in this life. In total, there's eight other times in Ecclesiastes where the preacher, he, he looks at it, and he understands that we live in this world that has fallen, and what are we to do? How should we go about our day? His answer often is, is with the phrase, there is nothing better than. And so as you read and, and look ahead and, and come to church on Sundays to learn from the book of Ecclesiastes. Look for those words. There's nothing better than. The idea of joy 
or pleasure. It shows the preacher's his zest for life, the excitement about life. But it is significantly limited by the fact that, that, that we are all going to die. All of our life is affected by the sobering fact of death's approach. As humans, we're bound by time and space. We have bodies that will fail us. We have minds that will be lost. And so the preacher is asking for us this morning, what, what joy, what, what pleasure can be possessed in this life? He does come to a conclusion and he does find a limited form of joy in this life. But we know that there is eternal joy in our Savior. Verse 1 begins with, I said in my heart, this is worthwhile for you in your own study to, to remember this because it is often a, it's a, it's a mark of a transition uh, in, the ecclesi- in, in, the preacher's, in the preacher's words. And he announces his, his experiment and he makes a preliminary judgment about the value that it yielded, which as you know, it is all vanity. But behold, this also was vanity. It's in similar fashion to the previous passage with wisdom. And he'll continue this theme throughout the book. His judgment in pursuit of pleasure was that it doesn't yield an inheritance. We can't keep it. He says, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. The, 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 the force of the Hebrew there is that it's a command. That he's going at it. And then he, he says in verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Encouraging words there. The idea behind it is that, that as you know, when you laugh, eventually you stop laughing. Sometimes you laugh uncontrollably, but then we'll learn from chapter 3 that our laughter turns into weeping. And he says of pleasure, what, what use is it? What good is it for us? It's kind of a commentary on his experiment. And he's saying that, that laughter, really, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. And pleasure, what use is it? So he begins his journey in verse 3 by looking at uh, first wine. It says, I searched, my heart with, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly. The idea of I searched is the same as what we talked about last week where he said, I applied my heart. I gave everything that I had. He, he jumped into the deep end. He didn't just get his toes or his feet wet. He had determination and focus to this experiment. And the text really doesn't indicate how deep he went with wine, whether he just had a glass of wine before, before bedtime or whether he was, was, was getting wasted day in and day out. It seems to be, though, that, that in his pursuit of laying hold of folly, that he did the, the latter. That he wanted to see what, what joy is there in drinking every single day. He goes at it and he tests it for joy. And as we know, it is vanity. It doesn't make sense. But the preacher, he seriously, he wishes to discover if joy is the answer to human desires. And his plan seems to be that he wants to leave no stone unturned rather than holding back in his mission. In a way, you can appreciate the preacher's words because he's already done this so that you don't have to. The purpose of his verse, of, of his experiment, is, is at the end of verse 3. 
And he says that till I might see what was good for the children of a man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I think the key there is, is the last phrase, the few days of your life. His main concern in testing joy is to see what is, what is worthwhile in life. What are we to do in this life with the realization that our, our days are limited? The preacher understands the human's heart desire to find purpose, meaning, and fulfillment in the lives that we live, yet he recognizes that life is short. We live under heaven, and really in the end, we are here today and gone tomorrow. When you look ahead in Scripture at, at the letter that James wrote in chapter 4, verses 13 and 15 through 15, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The preacher's words are a sobering reminder to us this morning that our, our days are numbered and limited. And that our lives are really not as significant as we might think. But yet there's a little bit of hope that there might be something to be enjoyed in this unhappy business as we learned from chapter 1 that God has given to us. Verses 4 through 8, they recount Solomon's great project for himself, great experiment. It says that he made great works. He built houses and he planted vineyards. And then he built gardens and parks. But then he needed water to be able to, to, to water those trees. So then he had great pools made. But then he didn't want to do the harvesting himself, so then he purchased slaves and... Uh, so that they might do the work. He had great possessions of herds and flocks. He had gold and silver and the treasures of kings and provinces. He had singers, both men and women, and many concubines. In the end, the works of Solomon are really forgettable. And in the end, I think if you remember about Tuesday or the Tuesday before that or the Tuesday before that, you probably forget what you did. I think Solomon's journey is a little bit like the mouse's journey. He gets a cookie, and he wants milk, and he wants a straw, and so on. One of the interesting phrases here that, that you'll notice when you read it is that he, he repeats for myself, or of myself, or to myself. In the Hebrew, it's really the same, the same phrase that communicates this idea that it was, it was, it was for him. It stresses the, the personal investment that Solomon made in this experiment. It really was to build up his kingdom. Solomon, he, he had it all in, in the world's eyes under the sun. Many people today, if you met a modern day Solomon, they might think, man, he, he's the man. He's got it. These are our royal achievements. They're done by a royal king and Solomon's kingdom was, was vast and it was great. 
In 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, we learn, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses and mules, so much year by year. He had a lot of stuff. In 1 Kings 10.27, we learn that, that he made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And that at the end of his life, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Which, if you know the story, led to his downfall because he went and worshipped the gods of his, of his wives and concubines. Solomon's work was really forgettable. You probably can't go there and find the vineyards or find the gardens that he planted. The fruit trees, they're probably dead and have already been burned. His herds and flocks have probably been eaten or died. And you can't hear the music in his palace. His, his works were forgettable. And yet that's what he, he went about to see. He wanted to toil. He wanted to... To, to find what, what is purpose? What, what purpose does this serve? How, how does life have meaning? Where is, is, is joy to be found? And when we read in verse 9 and following, we learn that there was something to be found. Solomon, he, he speaks of himself, So I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. This is the same phrase that was in verse 16 of chapter 1. And his wisdom, he, it remained with him. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. I grew up swimming a lot. Uh, water polo in high school and community college and days at the beach and lifeguarding and so on. And uh, my, my, my family jokes... Uh, that I'm not uh, made for running, and you probably would think the same. Uh, I, I don't. I like running now. I didn't like running, but one of the the things, the challenges when I moved to Idlewild was in trying to to find exercise. Because as you know, there aren't uh, many. I mean, there's pools in Idlewild, but there really aren't anything any pools that are are, are good pools for swimming and exercise. And so. Um, I didn't really have access to, to pools. I mean, the, when I, we worked at Camp Allendale, the pool's like 12 yards long, which is a lot of flip turns. Uh, and so I took, up, I took up running, and I set my sight on running a marathon. And uh, so I signed up with this marathon uh, with my brother-in-law, and we uh, went about training together. I emailed one of my professors at um, school in Chicago and asked him. He, he did triathlons and Ironmans and all that stuff. I said, hey, will you help me put together a schedule for for running this marathon. So he helped me do that. And if you know, uh, with running, a lot of times for training for a marathon, you run short runs during the week, and then you do long runs on Saturdays. So if you want to spend four or five hours running on a Saturday, you should train for a marathon. And uh, so I did that. It was, it, was, it was good. In a way, I, I enjoyed the work of it. And so November came, and we went to this race, and, and I, I, I finished it. Um, not really significant along the way. I didn't finish like top three of my age group or anything like that, but I finished a marathon. And I was, I was pretty happy about that. 
The thing, though, afterwards, my sister who was there, uh, she, she, uh, she said something to me that I remembered uh, this week where she was, she was proud of the effort that I had put in, that I had set my heart on this task and that I had accomplished it. And I, I felt pretty good that day. My knee was hurting in mile 20. I had to stop because I was in a lot of pain. I hadn't had any pain in my training, but, but race day it came and I don't know what it was. So mile 20, I had to stop and we walked a little bit and we ran some more and we walked a little bit and we ran some more and then we got to the finish line and people were cheering and so you were able to finish strong. Amy and I, we drove back to Idlewild and, and uh, we got out of the car at times and like my, all my legs were just like cramped up like no other. It was, it was, it was uh, quite uncomfortable. But I, I, had, I had joy in the task that I had done. And I think for us, but Solomon is, is wanting to show us that the things that you do, there, there is joy. He's saying the, thing, the work that you have, the toil that you have that God has given to you, you can have joy from that. For me right now, there's joy in changing diapers and waking up at 3 a.m. To, to feed baby or a baby. Um, there, there's joy in, in playing in the, in the sandbox at the park with my two-year-old. Just like there's joy in doing dishes. Right now, I'm coming up on a new semester, so there'll be joy in a lot of studying and reading. Each of us has been given a portion by God and a work to do. The work might be forgettable, but there is joy that God gives to us in the day in and the day out of our lives. In verse 10, we know that he went at it with all of his heart. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, from my heart, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. In summary fashion, he states, whatever my eyes desires, I did not keep from them. So we know that, that Solomon was committed to this, this experiment. And what pleasure, what joy, what happiness did the preacher find? He found that there was a reward for his toil. That there was joy. This is a clear statement that the experiment that he went on was successful and that it yielded pleasure, but not eternal pleasure, not eternal joy. It's interesting, the word here that he uses for reward is, is, is a synonym for portion. It doesn't keep you going. It's not something that you can hand off to your children after you die. But he's saying something. He's saying that in this life that we live, there is joy to be experienced in the work that we do. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a server, whether you're a pilot, there is joy in the work that we do. And he's saying that this experience, it was successful in yielding some temporary joy. And he's saying that his work in, in, in building the vineyards, in building the gardens and the parks, in having the entertainment and all that, that there was joy in his work. He's saying that his work is a source of joy for him, but the benefit that comes from work in no way it lessens or counters the inevitability of death to make all such work ultimately absurd. If you remember, the word for vanity could mean absurd. 
Whereas our labors yield no ultimate lasting benefit, they do yield some temporary benefit for us. It's a challenge for us to reflect upon our lives and to consider the work, the portion that God has given to us, and to see if you are finding joy in those moments. In the few days that you or I live, there's joy to be found in the portion that God has given to us. It's not lasting. It's not eternal. It's a temporary joy that I think is, is, a, is a sign of God's grace in our life for this short journey of life that we live. And I think it's a challenge for us to redeem those moments, to think about our life. What is the, what is the portion that God has given to you? Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your job, whether you hate it or not, your possessions, your house, where you live, the work that you do around your house, do you find joy in these moments? For me, when it's three in the morning and I have to get out of bed to feed a hungry baby, do I find joy? Would you find joy? Or when it's 4.30 in the afternoon you're driving home from work and you're sitting in traffic or you're driving slowly behind somebody coming up the mountain, do you find joy in the opportunity to pray, to reflect? When it's 8 o'clock at night and the kids are in bed and the dishes are done or they're not done and you're exhausted from a hard, hard day's work in my house of changing diapers, wiping snotty noses and trying to make peace, do you find joy in the quiet? I'm coming up on another semester and I go to school in Escondido and, 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 and by and far the, the most asked question of my time in, in seminary is, is about my commute. And uh, it's, it's long. It's an hour, 45 minutes. I've put 20,000 miles on my, my little car already in the first year. And I, I, could, I could drive off the mountain angry, upset, frustrated. I chose to do this. God has allowed me to do this. And you know, the, the, some of the best moments have been on my commute. When I can think about my classes, when I can think about what God is teaching me when I can prepare to see my family again and how excited I am for to, to greet Cora and to greet Mabel. In many ways, people look at their commutes and they think, man, that stinks. My dad would hate for me to share this, but for the last 25 plus years, he's driven from Ventura to Santa Monica, which is 56 miles, but it takes way more than 56 minutes, as you know the 101 to the 405. But it's those times when, when the, what the preacher is saying to us that we there is joy in that toil. My dad has served his family faithfully for many, many years. And what joy, what, what, what toil has God has given to you to serve your family, to serve your community, to serve your church? The preacher, he was trying to find what is the good life. What yields joy? And he found that there is joy to be had in the toil that God has given to us. Which as we learn from chapter 1, it's, a, it's an unhappy business. Living under the sun. The preacher realizes, however, that even though there's a little bit of joy, that it will soon be lacking. Chapter 3 is great in explaining this idea to us that 
that there is a season for, for many things, and it goes back and forth. And this morning, for us, as we consider the words of the preacher, it's an opportunity to, to, to look at and to understand what is lasting joy. In preparing, I thought about Jesus' words in the, in the Sermon on the Mount to the people. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I think is great comfort for us this morning. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I like these words here because they, they help us to reorient our lives, to live as those who are dependent upon God. They remind us of what should be our biggest concern in life, which is the kingdom of God, not our own kingdoms. And they redeem for us the little moments, the moments that you think don't matter, the moments you think that nobody will remember, and they probably won't. They give us a purpose, which is to give us joy. And lastly, they show us that our eternal joy cannot be found in the stuff, but rather in the person of God himself as revealed to us in the person of Jesus. The fullness of joy, contrary to the, to the preacher, the joy of the preacher, is found in the Savior Jesus Christ ultimately. This Savior who the author of Hebrews spoke about in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus came to this earth, he had toil, he had work to do. And it was a joy to him. And we might learn from him and find our joy in him. In terms of application for us this morning, I have two questions. First is, is, is what, what is your portion? When you think about your life, what is it that God has given to you? The work that you have, the people that are surrounded by you the little garden that you might have out in front of your yard. My mother-in-law has been gardening all, all uh, spring. And my mother as well. My mother lives in Ventura. 
And uh, my parents there, they have avocado trees and apple tree and orange tree and lemon tree and tomatoes and all this stuff. And, and my mom barely has to do anything. The, the conditions in Ventura are, are pretty good for, for, for gardening. I mean, some days she forgets to water. She goes out there, oh, look, more tomatoes. It's, it's like 55 to 75 in Ventura most of the time. It's a great place to grow up, if you ask me. It's crazy, though, how much work, more work it is. I'm not saying that my mom didn't work. She did. But in Idlewild, if you garden, you know that it is a lot of work. you got squirrels, birds, deer, little rodents, gophers. They come in. you gotta, you got to put a fence below your garden and a fence above your garden. You go out there. You water it. Some days it's scorching hot and there's too much sun. Other days it's freezing and you're like, everything's going to die. And you get worried. Lynn's been doing that every morning she gets up and she goes and she, she checks her garden. Probably the biggest predator in her garden is a two-year-old who likes to pull off things. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's hard work. And you get little cucumbers and you get little tomatoes. Just yet the other day, she harvested a, a pumpkin, a, a decorative pumpkin. And there's a lot of joy in, in the gardening aspect of life. It could be a home project for you. It could be fixing that car that doesn't run. For me recently, it was, it was playing in the dirt with Cora. I'd come home from work. I think I'd already, I'd t- already taken a shower and I was clean, and I don't really like to get dirty after I took a shower. And Cora's like, Daddy, come on. And she's out in the backyard, and we have a little playground back there, and it should have sand, but it just has dirt. And Cora, she's got an imagination. She likes to make ice cream, and she serves it to you, and it spills all over me. And sometimes she accidentally, not accidentally, but spills dirt on me on purpose. I think my temptation and our temptation as humans is to to, uh, avoid the toil, avoid the work. Instead, it is better to go play in the dirt with your child. Instead, it is better to go visit your neighbor in their sickness. Instead, it's better to go faithfully to work even when you, when you don't want to. There's joy in what God has given to us. So what is, what is your portion? I think understanding your portion for the Christian community, it sets us free from the jealousy that we often have for our brothers and sisters. I'm sure you felt those times when it's like, I wish I had a boat and a trailer and a house at the beach and a vacation home in the mountains. Well, you guys might probably have that, uh, but it's your only home. Uh, I have three. Just kidding. Uh, so, but I, but I think I think we we are set free when we realize what our portion is. If it's big, if it's small, if it's if it's mighty like Solomon's, if it's poor, God has given us those things to have joy. Understanding your portion allows you to live today without worry, without anxiety, without fear, and knowing that whatever God has given to you is meant for your joy. The second question is, where, where is your heart? Is it, in, is it in the stuff? Is it in your, your royal palace? Is it in your pursuit of, of joy, of pleasure, and in, in the wrong things? My heart this week was was about my to-do list. If I can finish this and I can do this, then I'll be happy. I'll have joy. It'll be great. 
I'm sure some of you guys can connect with that. But may God convict our hearts this morning that if we are looking for eternal joy in places that only find that will only find temporary joy, might it be changed? Might we be reminded? Our joy under the under the sun is is nothing compared to the joy of our Savior. The preacher, he did the experiment for us and he writes to us and he teaches us and he says that there is some toil to be found. There is some joy to be found in the toil, but it's temporary. But the scriptures, they testify to one in whom you may find eternal joy and his name is Jesus Christ. So when we leave this morning, might we find purpose, might we find meaning, might we find joy in what we do because God has given it to us but that's not our ultimate hope. That's not our, that's not our end. Because our, our, our eternal joy is to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so let's pray together. Father, we are humbled by your word. We thank you, Lord, for Ecclesiastes. We thank you for the portion that you have given to us. And we pray, Father, that you might teach us, reorient us, renew our hearts. Father, might we not look for eternal joy in the toil that we know will only yield temporary joy. May we turn our hearts to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who considered it joy to go to the cross to bear our sin, to bear our punishment, that we might be redeemed, that we might have lasting joy, joy that will not perish. And we thank you, Father, and we pray all this in his name.